All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple podcast or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I would typically turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. But since Jeff is off for this weekend's show, let me get into those numbers. So for the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1.3%. The S&P 500 was down 1.27%. And the NASDAQ was down for the week 2.78%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 7.5%. The S&P 500 is down 9.18%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 14.90%. Another week, another volatile week, to say the least. So, Joe, it's just me and you for this weekend show. Um, We don't have Jeff to moderate uh, some of the things that that we want to say on the program, but we will definitely try to keep a lid on ourselves. PG-13 for our listeners and well, we are on terrestrial radio and podcast, so we got to stay away from all the seven deadlies. But, you know, here we go again, more volatility, as we've been talking about on the Money Wise program, even going back to last year, our anticipations of 2022 to have a much more market volatility, although at the time when we talked several weeks ago, we weren't anticipating for a world leader to completely become unhinged and go off the rails. And that only seemed to increase over this past week, particularly Thursday evening going into Friday morning with an attack on a nuclear power plant in the in Ukraine, um, that if there was a meltdown would be ten times that would be ten times larger than that of Chernobyl. But fortunately the plant is under control, no radiation leaks. Um, it's under control of the Russian military, but they have the Ukrainian technicians still operating the plant. And really, I think at the end of the day, we know Putin, we, we know what Putin's, pan, Putin, Putin, 
Putin's plans are, we know what they are. We know what his intentions are. He wants to take over Ukraine. He wants to try to reunite the former Soviet Union when he was all in his glory as a KGB agent. And I don't think it would be a wise idea to destroy a nuclear power plant that could wind up not only killing a lot of people in Ukraine, but soiling the land that he's trying to take over, not to mention possibly cause harm to his own citizens in Russia. Not that he seems to care about human life in general, uh, whether it's Russian or Ukrainian. But I know that the markets and the futures overnight from Thursday to Friday were definitely responding to that. Well, it's the machines might have had something to do with it. If you hear the word nuke, it's probably not a good thing for the next day in the market. It just, you know, if you have instability and you have something like that happen and you have geopolitical risk that we haven't seen in quite some time. And if I had to sum it up this week, it would have been Russia, oil, and the Fed. Those are the three things that seem to be talked about the most throughout the entire week. But we got to throw in that Powell did come out and say that he's going to steadily raise rates and you can pretty much write down a 25, uh, 25 or 25 basis point rate hike uh, in March. So that's at least add some predictability or we could have had even a little bit more volatility and been maybe a little bit more down this week. Well, and, I, and, and you bring up a very good point, Joe, because before the whole Russia-Ukraine thing kicked off, when we saw the intraday market highs that began on Janu- that that hit on January the fourth, and since then we've had this consternation, this hand wringing, this handicapping that we've been talking about on the Money Wise program of the traders and the market pundits trying to figure out how aggressive the Federal Reserve is going to be when it comes to their monetary policy tightening how hawkish they're going to be. Is it going to be a half a 1% increase? Is it going to be a quarter of 1% increase? And like you just said, Joe, Jay Powell and his testimony to Congress on Tuesday and Wednesday cleared up that entire picture, period. And I thought the way that Jay Powell handled it was good because he was very transparent. He said, yes, we're behind the curve. We know we need to get this thing going. We know we need to kick it off. But because of all the instability that's going on in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine, we can't get too aggressive in and around here. We have to be very data dependent, as they always have been. But I think reiterating that is important because it creates a little bit more calm in the market. And so if we weren't dealing with this Russia-Ukraine issue, I think the testimony alone this past week, Joe, we would have seen buying coming in. Well, you also have the job numbers. A lot better than expected. And which we're, we're talking about inflation. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm going to go into the job numbers when we come back from the commercial break. Okay. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, in, in talking about the job numbers, that, that was one good thing that we heard Friday. And I think there still is a little bit of consternation on the supply chain. And hopefully, at least domestically, if we can have more people getting back to work and we can uh, produce goods maybe at least eventually abate that supply chain situation. And that's a big reason we're, we're, we have inflation right now. So anyways. Well, and, and, and again, for new listeners, they might not have heard us say this. Regular listeners, they hear us talk about this, that COVID has been a huge contributing factor to the inflation that we're all facing in our daily lives. Obviously, the horrible energy policies from 
the left, the green left, and what Biden did from the second he took office is definitely adding even more to that inflationary pressure when it comes to fuel and how, you know, how, what, what all that's concerned with. So, you know, we kind of have these two different levels of inflation. Now, I don't think the energy inflation is going to be abating anytime soon, unfortunately, unless uh, Joe Biden and his infinite wisdom and in his cabinet, and I'm saying that tongue very deep in cheek, finally realizes that we need to get back to energy independence for our own security as a country. Um, but I know we're coming up on a break, so I'm going to have to pause my point right then and there. And when we come back, we'll be wrapping this up on that point. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from last week. Again, another week of volatility and extreme volatility. And I would say primarily driven by the instability that's taking place and the, and the war, uh, the unprovoked war between Russia and Ukraine. Because as we were discussing in the last segment with what Jay Powell said during his congressional testimony this past week, really took away the unknowns, you know, because all the corrective moves we had prior, you know, the correct, the classic market correction, which we are long overdue to have, that started in earnest around January the 5th, was really this handicapping process of how hawkish the Federal Reserve is going to be with their monetary policy. Well, this was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks with all these big unknowns that we would have, you know, Bullard come out, the St. Louis Fed, where he's saying we need to be more aggressive, we need to do a half a 1% hike, we need to start really getting these interest rates up to help combat inflation. And I've been saying on this program, the Fed has tools to help combat monetary inflation. Unfortunately, they have a lot of flathead screwdrivers when the when we really need some Phillips head screwdrivers, because a lot of this inflation, the point I was making right before the commercial break, is we know that a lot of this inflation, particularly on the product side, is due to the COVID pandemic and the close downs and, and, the, and the shutdowns. We know that we've talked about it on the show at nauseum. We know that we have high energy inflation because of the boneheaded policies coming out of the Biden administration when it comes to energy and the fact that we got away from being energy independent and that we need to go back to energy independence. And I will say, I, I want to hold on to some optimism that when Nancy Pelosi this past week said that she's all for banning the importing of Russian oil, I think that's something that we could possibly build on. And I know that uh, Lindsey Graham said that if we, that I believe he's going to be fast tracking something on the floor of the Senate in this coming week, that he feels confident that 75 senators will sign it to basically ban imports of Russian oil and hopefully putting forth some type of measures to get the pumps going again, get wells uncapped, 
get some drilling going again and getting us back to energy independence. Now, I don't want to hold my breath that President Biden is going to have a full, complete reversal in this green policy that he has been following that has destroyed our oil and gas industry. And from us being from South Texas and a lot of our listeners out in the oil field, God bless you for the work that y'all do. All the folks at the refineries, God bless you for all the hard work that you do. And it's just very frustrating because there is a major part of inflation that we could, and it takes time. You know, we open up these wells tomorrow. Joe, you and I both know it takes time. Yeah, I was talking to one of my buddies that worked in the oil field for an oil field services company. You know, he was thinking two to three months. Um, But I think your point about energy independence is important for us. But I think you look at it globally as well. So you would rely on Russia and Iran for your oil. That that's a part that I cannot possibly I cannot fathom. It, when when the America is stronger economically and we are str- we are stronger and we produce our own energy, we can produce an ample amount and get it to our allies. It proves that we're a much safer country and we're a much safer world when that happens. And you know, it's it's I know we're, a lot of individuals are frustrated, and I agree with you, Kyle. You know, we're we're in the heart of Texas. I mean, we're we're in South Texas. We're right in the middle of the shale, the Eagleford Shale. And you know we can produce it, and you know we can do it, and it's frustrating. But it, it's really tough when you see a, a country invade another country, and it's funded uh, by oil revenue from by us in, other, in, in Germany. And Germany is taking a second look and, and going to coal, and they're changing their philosophy. And so we maybe we should take a lead from Germany and say maybe we need to reevaluate where we are. And, and I believe in both, but I think you can't you can't have it all one way, and you can't have it all the other. That's right. It, 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 it Nothing in life is like that. That's right. It has to be a, a logical balance. It's just like in a portfolio; you have to have a logic, a logical asset allocation. You can't be a hundred percent stocks. You can't be a hundred percent cash. You can't be a hundred percent bonds. You have to have a proper mix, just like with energy. You have to have wind. You have to have solar, but you also have to have liquefied natural gas. You also have to have oil. You have to have the combination. And I think you just brought up Germany. It was a huge point that you just made because Germany went to this extreme left about greening everything, getting away from fossil fuels. And you see the position that it's put them in. You see what it's, what, what's happened with their inflation and the cost of their, their fuel over there. And we're trying to follow that same path with the current administration and it's not going to work. We have to have energy independence to have our security, but we can also, being energy independent and being a net exporter, help our European allies with their energy needs because what we need to do is cut everything off of Russia, cut the head off the snake, and take their revenue away. I know Putin has about a $653 billion war chest of cash readily available. That doesn't go very far for a country of that many people. And so, you know, he's headed down the path of them being an object poverty and them basically being a third world country for, for possibly many, many years to come. And so he's playing a very dangerous game, but unfortunately he's kind of past that point of no return. So for us here back at home, if we didn't have this issue going on with Russia right now, I think what was talked, what was discussed this past week with Jay Powell and Congress 
would have taken that big unknown away. And I think for some of the more hawkish money managers or hawkish financial talking heads out there, I think that their expectations have been dialed back quite a bit from this past week. And if we can get Russia in their place, Putin in his place, and get this thing behind us, I think we can see you know more buying coming into the market. Because I would say that this last week's volatility, it's not because there's an you know an overexorbitant amount of institutional selling. There's just been more of an absence of buying, which is telling me that there's just a lot of money and money managers sitting on the sidelines seeing how things pan out in Russia before they make any kind of commitment. But for someone who's sitting on a high level of cash, and I'll go into in the next segment kind of where I see the market, particularly the S&P 500 from a technical standpoint, because a very defined technical picture is shaping up. And if you're an investor that's sitting on a high level of cash or looking to do some rebalancing, you know, in this next week or two might be an opportunity to start nibbling on the buy side because I am seeing some very, I'm seeing a very good um, support level on the downside of the market, but I'm also seeing a resistance level that if we can break through that resistance level in the next couple of weeks and things start to possibly simmer down over in Eastern Europe, then we can see some more money, some more buying coming back in. So I just want to make that clear to all of our listeners that there wasn't this exorbitant amount of selling that took place this past week, even though all three major indexes were negative. It was more of an absence of buying. And there's a difference. Well, it tells you also a lot of institutional investors are probably staying pretty close to their allocations because they do understand when you have geopolitical risk, I'm not saying that this situation could drag on. It could drag on for years. But typically speaking, the Crimea and some other instances, the market generally rebounds pretty fast. And, and you know, you may have roughly a 5% correction or 5% drop and the market comes back. So, Well, and, and here's a statistic. You know, going back to war, World War II, in the 12 months following a geopolitical event, and this is post-World War II, 12 months following that geopolitical risk, the stock market has been up 80% of the time 12 months later with an average return just under 10%. So there's some market history there for you going all the way back to World War II. And so this can be a very similar situation. And now that we've got the hand ringing about what the Fed is going to do, really, I think, out of the way, from last week's congressional testimony, and because I am starting to see this technical pattern of a support and a resistance level, you're sitting on some cash on the sidelines. It might be in the next week or two time to start adding to your positions. If you have a new buy list, maybe starting to nibble dollar cost average in. I'm not saying go in whole hog and say, well, I want to buy this stock. Let me put everything in. Or if you have stocks in your portfolio right now or mutual funds or exchange-traded funds that have obviously taken a hit during this correction that we've seen so far, and you want to continue to own them, this might be also a good opportune time in the next week or two looking to do some rebalancing where you're buying some shares of these positions at lower prices. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that technical picture when we come back from this next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing our recap from Wall Street from last week. And before we went to break, I was talking about, and I, and I know you know, some talking to some of our clients and, and longtime listeners says sometimes we get a little bit too much in the technical weeds, but I want to apologize for getting in the technical weeds, but I just want to talk about some pattern that I've seen on the S&P 500 and taking a look at it. Now, the levels that I'm seeing in the S&P 500 is that I'm start, what's really starting to, to really show itself is that we have a support level in the S&P 500 around 4,225, and that's 4,225 points on the S&P 500 index. And then I'm also seeing resistance on the top side of around 4,400. So going back to basically Valentine's Day, the stock market, meaning the S&P 500, has been gyrating between 4225 on the low side and 4400 on the high side and it hasn't broken below the 4225 and it keeps hitting the ceiling at 4400 and so this is kind of the technical levels that we're keeping a very very sharp eye on if we can see the market the S&P 500 break above and close above 4400 for a day or two and show a little bit of resilience above that 4,400-point line, then that could be, again, a telltale sign that maybe we could start drawing in some more buying because the volatility, as I mentioned in the last segment of this past week, I don't, I don't see from what I'm seeing from the volume flow. It's not from an, an exaggerated level of selling. It's really from just an absence of buying, which tells me, again, a lot more money is sitting on the sidelines. And, and I have to just tell all of our listeners, there is never going to be a bell that's going to be rung to say it's safe to get back into the market. There never is. And you're never going to be able to time the market perfectly on the downside. And Joe, you were making a point in the last segment. You know, yeah, if you start nibbling this next week or two, yeah, we could still see a little bit more downside. You know, we could break below the 4225 level on the S&P 500. But I'm telling you, we've been holding that that support level since Valentine's Day. Well, so we're I think three, that's three trading weeks. I think the other thing, too, and it depends on, you know, Kyle, Jeff, and I don't always agree. century, right? So there, let's just say that. But, but my philosophy is if you look at the interday, uh, high on the S and P, we're right in correction territory on the S and P. So if we're down, which means we're down ten percent, and 
I'm not saying it's always the time to do that, but if you do have cash, maybe you have some oil that's had a really pretty, or some oil stocks or energy stocks that had a pretty good run up. Well, maybe we want to take a little bit off the top off of that and maybe take a look at uh, some components of the S&P that are down 10, because there's one thing that's guaranteed. You're not buying some of these stocks at an all-time high. And, you know, <laughs> in fact, in fact, you're guaranteed majority, to not be buying at an all-time high. So Yeah, majority yeah. of the Majority of the stocks out there, you would not be buying them at an all-time high. But, but, but again, you, you need to pay attention to the company's fundamentals, and you have to be very aware of their price earnings multiple and understand, as we've been talking about going back to last year, of having that ball, barbell approach in your portfolio, having some of your classic stocks, classic dividend payers, having some growth components in your portfolio, because – this invasion of Russia and Ukraine and the Federal Reserve raising interest rates this year is not the end of capitalism as we know it, and it's not the end of growth stocks as we know it for the rest of our lives. You wanted to say something, Joe? Well, no, I mean, if you look at the P ratio in the S&P, and what we're seeing here is during this last earnings season, if you see any stocks where that have a high P, usually above 22, 23, or 25, but really the higher P stocks that are 50, 60, 60, 70. If they miss anything, earnings, they, they miss their forecast, they are sold off unmercifully. And that's why you need that barbell approach. And that's why the NASDAQ, which is large cap growth stocks, is is down close to 18% uh, off of its all-time high. So that's the one area that's been beaten down the most in this particular situation. But over the last year or so, we have, we have like Kyle said, we have created more of a barbell approach where we have about an equally weight of large cap growth, large cap value, and we have some mid cap stocks and some small cap stocks. But what I think it means, and we can get it to later, you know, you got to know what you own, do a review, and look at what your weaknesses are on your portfolio. If you have way too much in large cap growth, and you're probably going to be down considerably more than somebody that's got a, a well balanced uh, and, and barbell approach in their portfolio. Um, and of course, if you have emerging market debt, which sort of looked pretty good earlier this year, you may want to reevaluate your approach on that right now. So that's sold off quite a bit well, last week. Well, let's I talk mean, about emerging market stocks. I'm sorry, not debt. Well, well yeah, let's let's talk about emerging markets and or international, whether it's exchange traded funds or mutual funds. And as we've talked about on this program, if you're working with a traditional brokerage firm, your Merrill Lynch, your Morgan Stanley, your Edward Jones, all the like. And they're following the Monte Carlo analysis portfolios run by a computer algorithm, not being managed by a human being. Well, you're this age, you're this risk tolerance, and based on this Monte Carlo analysis, this is the percentage of your allocation you should have in international and emerging market investments. Well, I can tell you that this instability that's taking place overseas is definitely not going to be a nice friend to these investments. And, and again, for this full disclosure, we do not own any international or any emerging market uh, investments in our portfolio and have it in quite some time at Davidson Capital Management. And, you know, we see this when we have portfolio reviews where there's 10, 15, 20% overseas based on a portfolio theory, as opposed to being based on experience inactive management and searching and trying to find the asset classes that a professional money manager, not a computer, but what a human being who has in our office over 75 years and combined experience of doing this from an asset management standpoint 
making those logical decisions and not leaving it up to a computer. Because it, it all fits. as we said on this on this show m- numerous times, money management, it's all, not all about science. It's a combination of science and art. And, and art comes from the experience. Art comes from being in the trenches, making decisions and living by your decisions. And speaking of portfolio, you know, one change that we've made in our portfolio is, in fact, it was just on Friday with the overnight and the attack that occurred on the nuclear power plant there in Ukraine, we saw some buying coming in to the treasury market, dropping the treasury yields lower, and we found it to be an opportune time to add just a little bit more to our 7- to 10-year treasury short position. So what that means is on a short is that if interest rates go up in the 7- to 10-year treasury, because the value of the bonds are going down, we make money. And because these the, the interest rates came lower and the value of the bonds went up, we found this a good buying opportunity for when rates turn and go the other way because we know the cards are on the table from the Federal Reserve. They're going to be raising rates multiple times this year. And most of the forecasts that I see are still having the 10-year between 2.25% and 2.5%. And and I think that's part of obviously being proactive in a portfolio. And, and Kyle and I know plenty of advisors that some of them do actually create their own portfolios. We know some of them pretty well. But what Kyle's also talking about is the computer-generated models. And when you're actually talking to an advisor, you're in an interviewing advisor, A, are they a fiduciary? Or are they in, in some cases, they could be a hybrid. where They might actually collect a commission up front called A-shares, and they get a small trail. And they don't tend to do that much with that portfolio at all. And then maybe another piece will be in a fee-based uh, account, which doesn't make any sense to me, honestly, because we're we're a fee-based advisor. We're fiduciaries. You know, our max fee is 1%. And what I'm getting at is but, but Jeff, everything but works together. We don't have one portfolio that works differently than another because in the long run, that is not going to work well. You have to have each part of your portfolio, an account here, your IRA, your taxable account, if they all have the same goal, they need to be working in conjunction with each other and not against each other. I'm sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. No, and actually that's a good point because I have seen that doing, you know, as many portfolio reviews and analysis we've done over our 33 years of business where one client or one prospective client has multiple accounts at, at another firm and one portfolio has one strategy, another portfolio has a different strategy, and, and they really don't make sense why they have all that's these. That's not a strategy. Strategies. Yeah, that's not that's a strategy. That's a bunch of different strategies. That's not an overall comprehensive strategy. And, and, and I think and I think what you're talking about is when portfolios are working against each other and not together in concert with one another, working towards a common goal. And when you ask the prospective client, well, why is this account allocated this way and this account allocated that way? And then they can't answer that question. That should be something that concerns that prospective client that they don't understand the strategy of why the person they were working they're working with is doing what they're doing in the portfolio. But unfortunately a lot of investors are unaware of this because they don't know the right questions to ask or they haven't been provided the education about to to arm them with the great questions to ask. But I'm gonna have to pause it right there so we can take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise Guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise Guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So I just wanted to wrap up one point from the last segment, just talking again, what we've always talked about on the Money Wise program about education. And we, when we sit down with prospective clients and them just not knowing the right questions to ask because whoever they've, they've been working with or they've worked with in the past, they just haven't spent the time to educate them on why they manage the portfolio or why what's going on in their portfolio, why it's set up that way, why it's allocated that way, what are the goals. They just don't have the right questions to ask. And, you know, one thing – one point I wanted to make, Joe, from the last segment is that even working with other advisors that are fiduciaries, that the the money is being actively managed, a big question to ask is, are the person is the person you're working with the actual person making the investment decisions? You know, we, we're seeing more and more registered investment advisory firms that still just are collecting assets, harvesting them, and then sending them to someone else to manage. And so that's always a question to ask anytime you sit down with a fiduciary. Are you the person making the investment management decisions? And I think it's important for every investor to know who the actual person is that's making those day-to-day investment decisions in their portfolio. And if it's not the person you're working with, then you might want to start to ask, well, why? Why are you not that person? That should raise some red flags. So I wanted to shift gears. You know, we're in the last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. And I know over the past several weeks and really from the beginning of the year, this traditional corrective move that the market has gone into and the exacerbation of this correction due to the events that are occurring in Russia and Ukraine. So I wanted to end this segment on some actual green shoots. I'm going to take, I guess, Ben Bernanke. That's one of your favorite terminologies. Yes. Let's talk about some positives that occurred this past week. We already did talk about uh, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, you know, Jay Powell kind of laying down the foundation of what the Federal Reserve is going to be doing. And definitely, I would say it was a little bit more dovish of them not being as aggressive on their interest rate increases and be, they've always been data, data dependent and data driven, but really walking slowly in their monetary policy normalization. But on Friday, the non-farm payroll numbers came out, and they rose by 678,000 jobs in February, and the unemployment rate fell to 3.8%. Now, Wall Street pundits were expecting job growth of only 440,000 with a 3.9% unemployment rate. So... Definitely above expectations on job creation of 678,000 with the unemployment rate of 3.8%. The other thing that was very interesting is that wages were pretty much unchanged, but well below expectations. So wages were a little changed up 5.1% for the year 
That was well below the expectations of 5.8%. So we might see some of this wage inflation starting to come down a little bit, staying below expectations, which can be a good thing. Now, leisure and hospitality led job gains. 10.9 million jobs are still needed to be filled. And the labor force participation rate actually ticked up to 62.3% but it's still 1.1% below the February 2020 pre-pandemic level. So 1.1% below the pre-pandemic level, still 10.9 million jobs available, but job growth is moving in the right direction. And finally, the U6, which is something I track, and it's what I consider and what I guess more on the analytical side of Wall Street considers the real unemployment rate, stood at 7.2% through February. Now, the lowest U6 rate in the last 30 years occurred on December of 2019 when it stood at 6.8%. So we're about four-tenths of way from the lowest U6, which is the true unemployment rate for the last 30 years. I don't think I have to mention to our listeners who uh, who was actually in the White House in December of 2019 when the U6 was at 6.8%. So that's a positive. You know, more people getting back out working. With more people working, they produce more goods. There's more availability of services. So we can hopefully start to see this inflation data start to continue to come down. And I know Jay Powell was, you know, spoke very eloquently of them feeling more and more confident as the year goes on that we will start to see some of this monetary inflation coming in, regardless of what the Fed is doing. But as I'd mentioned at the beginning of the program, I think the, you know, the energy inflation is going to be here to stay for quite a period of time. Because even if we go back to, the pre-Biden energy policies, it's going to take time for that to find its way into the market. So I would say everyone buckle up because it's probably going to be, again, higher inflation and energy well through the summertime. And if there was a complete about face in Washington on their energy policy. Well, I think Kyle's wrapping it up with some positives, you know, for this weekend, I think earnings also, if you look at a majority of the companies, a majority of the components of the S&P beat their earnings estimates. Um, some of them didn't beat them enough, but earnings season was still relatively positive. I think it's another bright spot that you can talk about. You know, And, and in all seriousness, we what's happening overseas is tragic, and we are praying for, for Ukraine, at least you know, I am. And, and sometimes you need more than prayers. But I think if you look at everything in general so far this year, and you said, all right, the S&P is down about – 10% off the high with all the things that have gone on. Um, I'm not saying I would take it, but it, it, it it's could be a resiliency. Worse. I think, mm-hmm. Joe, the point you're trying to make is there's been some resiliency in the market with this major geopolitical event where a sovereign country is, is attacked, completely unprovoked attack, uh, and knowing that that, that Putin is wanting to reunite the former Soviet Union, which his efforts are going to, I think, in the long run, is going to go down as a historic failure on his part. But I will, I will agree with you that this began as a normal, a normal market correction. 
And I know no investor likes to see negative numbers in their portfolio, but it could definitely be much worse with what is actually happening over in Ukraine and Russia. And of course, praying for the Ukrainians and, you know, their protection. And we'll just see how, how things go. But from a technical standpoint, I would say that if you have some cash on the sidelines, the next couple of weeks might present itself as an opportunity to slowly start dollar cost averaging back in to the market, but keeping your allocations and your barbell at a reasonable level. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and, and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg 
this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle. And have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their, number. Their, 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 and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion... The way we viewed this, this, the 4% rule, as, as you talked about, Kyle, being used by our competitors in, on Wall Street, 
we've kind of looked at is they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their 4% maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to 2 or 3% maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a 4% rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling, well, you can only withdraw 2% a year. That's $20,000. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, 10-year bonds right now, exactly. you, you don't need any of this. You can get right at 2%. Exactly. So you, don't, you don't need to go to Wall Street to get a 2% withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%, and some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets, 
and outside accounts because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you. Or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets. Or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity. And you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account. And then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out. You get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9, 10, 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it can wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs. And those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, 
let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter? You know, doing it that way. Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals, it can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and 
the 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 problem that we have as as long term planners uh, of of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at fifty years old, you know, and you're ten. 12 years away from retirement and you take a million dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it, maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education of about retirement spending, and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about folks going into retirement wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's, it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And, and the thing that, that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. 
Because we, we get it. We understand folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it. Because just utilizing our, our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we can discuss paying cash for it. Because, it, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again to right. pay for those income taxes? So, Your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4%. On twenty thousand dollars, you know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in income taxes that you're going to have to pay pulling that money out. So you're giving up $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining you don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now here you go again you're having to pay tax on that distribution 
to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on $20,000, $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8 9 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare the oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months, and if you haven't, if you don't keep good records, and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds, or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, 
you roll you just go on and say i'm going to take the pension and that's it because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment you're done you you that's the that's it you're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life for the rest of your life and your spouse's life and then once those two typically once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime there's no other assets going to the uh, estate and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation so every month that goes by that pension payment is buying less and they're also not guaranteed that's right no matter how strong the corporation is and i know the the refinery businesses here in the corpus christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension or if you have if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation so what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set 
on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than three thousand dollars a month. So, if you're receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, yeah, you just sliced you just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows, some horror stories concerning these pension payouts, and I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal, is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that, that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. Yeah, right. One thing that struck me was, was this um, that was on page two of the... Uh, come, going back to the article... Uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. Um, the Roadmap for Policymakers and Americans' View of the Retirement Crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today, today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity and unfortunately these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation and we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program cuz not enough Folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this guaranteed amount quote, of money. Quote, unquote, guaranteed. In the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age 65 or 66, you're not going to like it at age 78. Seventy nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm you know I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know I I'm not retired. Retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But is, that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed, this is fear. This, this is this the is, 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. 
And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, ex- accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. You, the, the, what it's, it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And and if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week.